following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, um, we are going back to 2 Peter 3 this morning. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. That's on page 1019 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, I want you all to know that I am aware of what time of year it is. Um, I know that Christmas is just around the corner. And just because we're not hearing sermons about shepherds and angels and silent nights and ho, ho, ho and all that stuff doesn't was it deck them halls and all that stuff? But whatever. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's no Christmassy application uh, in our text in Second Peter this morning. In fact, Peter's uh, main point in these short verses is echoed in a very popular Christmas hymn, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but I will recite it for you. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. Amen? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, Virginia. So be good, for goodness sake. I mean, as you look at the text of Second Peter, doesn't that just like, hmm, absolutely, right? Well, it's a song of preparation to get ready, to get your behavior in line for Santa. Well, Peter doesn't have much to say about Christmas. He doesn't have much to say about Turkish missionaries. That's Santa Claus, St. Nicholas. It's another sermon another day. Peter doesn't have much to say about them, but he does have a lot to say about how to live in preparation for Advent, specifically the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the text of 2 Peter 3, um, and then we'll pray and, and jump in. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that all three are here today. 
We thank you, Lord, that you have given us these instructions, these reminders, these encouragements. We pray that you would bring them alive to us by the power of your Holy Spirit and that we may be made more like you as a result of our time together in your word. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter has been uh, warning the church against false teachers and scoffers, and now he turns his attention to encouraging the believers. Now, if you'll remember back to verse 1, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 13, where Peter says, I think it right, so long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And he says it again in verse 1 of chapter 3. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. But here in verse 9 through 13, Peter is reminding the church that this age in which we live has an expiration date. A date where all things will be brought to an abrupt end. And so, since that day is coming, we ought to be prepared. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, as I considered the, this prediction and the words of Peter, I couldn't help but ask one question, and that is, if you knew the day, if you knew the date that Jesus was coming back, would your life change? Would you live your life differently? Like if Jesus is coming back tomorrow afternoon, you're going to get some things in place, right? I mean... Right? When you, have, when you have company coming, you know they're coming. You get ready for that, right? If they're coming tomorrow. But if you're anything like me, they're coming next week. you got a lot of tomorrows between now and next week to get ready. Well, it's the same with the coming of the Lord. If you knew he was coming back tomorrow, would you do anything different than you have been doing? Or if you knew he wasn't coming for a thousand years, would anything change? I could just keep on rolling this way because he's not going to come back in my lifetime. Why do I need to do anything any different? 
I don't mean to answer these questions for you. I'm sure that your answers would be different than mine. But if the coming of Santa Claus is enough to spur kids on to good behavior, how much more should we be motivated to good behavior knowing that Christ is returning? And returning at an hour we don't expect. Peter makes a powerful statement in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, Peter will deal with this same uh, thought again in this chapter. We're not going to get to that text today. But this is a powerful reminder of, of two things. Number one, The Father does not operate on our timeline, but on his. Do you need to be reminded of that? I did. I do. I still... Yep. He stands outside of time. I've heard it explained that time is like a ruler. And if I had thought ahead, I would have one here to show you. Time is like a ruler, right? There's the one-inch line and there's the 12-inch line. It's a start and a stop. But God is outside of that ruler, right? He doesn't live, like, he's not bound to that like we are. We're stuck inside that ruler, but he isn't. He's outside of all of that. God stands outside of time, and he does not operate on our timeline. The second powerful reminder is that in his great love for the world, for all mankind, he doesn't wish for any of us to be destroyed, but to come to repentance, to turn away from our wicked ways and to follow him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for the world. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for your neighbors. That's for what he wants for those people that you know that are adamantly opposed to faith in Jesus Christ. He wants them to repent, to turn to him in faith. And this is not merely a New Testament idea either. Too many people think that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, but he isn't. The theologians use the word immutable. God is immutable, means unchanging. Why the theologians can't just say unchanging, I don't know. Makes them sound like their education was worth it. (laughs) Expensive. God is unchanging, and his desire has always been for the wicked to turn from their ways, to turn to him in faith. God said in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? And not rather that he should turn from his way and live. And also Ezekiel 13, uh, 33, 11. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Paul echoes this thought in 1 Timothy 2, 4. God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God 
and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, people have been arguing about this idea for millennia. And you may be wondering now, if God wants everybody to repent and be saved, why don't they? Why, why don't people turn away? Why, why won't they give up on their wicked ways and turn to God in faith? Why do people still die without faith in Christ? The Father doesn't want any of us to perish, right? And when, when Jesus used that word in John 3.16, the one Bible verse that most of the world has the closest chance of being able to recite at least a word or two from, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's not just die a natural death. That's gone for good. That's destroyed, right? That's hellfire destruction. And that's not what God wants. That's why he sent his son. God does not want any of us to perish. He never did. He wants us all to be saved. And he has provided the means for our salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ. That's all it takes. But sadly, not all will choose the way of salvation. Even though God wants everybody to, say, to be saved, we will all still be held accountable for whether or not we reject Christ. Everyone will. And Peter doesn't bring this idea up so we can have a theological debate on the doctrine of predestination, because that's the other side of the coin, and we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> he brings this up because of what follows in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I would remind you again of the words, uh, Jesus' words from Matthew 24. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So what's Peter trying to communicate? What's, what's the point that he's trying to get to us, you know, get us to come to grips with? The Lord is coming back. And he's coming suddenly at a time we don't expect. And when he comes, all the works that are done on earth will be exposed to judgment. Peter is telling us the same thing that Jesus told him because he was there when Jesus said those words in Matthew 24. You must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Why is this important? This is a theological point. So what? Jesus is coming back. Right, we get it. 
So what? Well, it's far too easy to get distracted. It's far too easy to take our eyes off the Lord and his coming and to focus on this world, this life, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you know how I know that? Because it happens to me. I know it happens to you. Christmas is a perfect example. How easy it is to get distracted. Take our eyes off the Lord. Take our eyes off the real meaning of what's going on. And just focus on the tinsel. The baubles. Your Amazon cart. right? Making sure you check your list twice and and know who's naughty and nice, right? Who's getting the coal this year, if you can afford coal? (laughs) This world is going to burn. The heavens and the earth are going to be dissolved and will melt as they burn. And all the work we did to ensure our happiness and our comfort is going to be dissolved. When we take our eyes off the coming of Christ, we stop preparing for it. Because it doesn't matter if we're ready. Because what are we getting ready for? Who cares? We get back to living as if happiness is our goal and not holiness. When our eyes are on the return of Christ, holiness becomes our aim. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness, not happiness. Anybody ever tell you that God doesn't really care about your happiness? Merry Christmas. There's a gift. God cares about your holiness because your holiness is what matters, not your happiness. I'd say sorry, but I can't be. This is Peter's main point. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? I am not a guilt-oriented person like I Guilt is a powerful motivator, but usually in a negative way. So I'm not here to make you feel guilty about the life you've been living. I'm here to do the same thing as Peter, to tell you that if you're out of whack, it's time to straighten up. If happiness has been your goal, it's time to focus on holiness. It's time to focus on godliness. What sort of people ought you to be? J.P. Lang wrote, You must evidence yourselves as persons of more noble origin, as citizens of the heavenly kingdom that are only strangers here on earth. 
We must live lives of holiness and godliness as we wait for Christ's return. Eagerly expecting that day. Watchful, prayerful, zealous for evangelism. Telling other people how they can be prepared. And so hastening the day when our faith will be sight and the clouds be rolled back like a scroll. Wouldn't you rather, when that day comes, that it's good news for you? Right? If you have faith in Christ, that day is a good day. But you know people that don't. They're calling now. We have the answer. We have the way to make that good news for our neighbors and friends and family. And that is Jesus. That's the only way that day is going to be good, is if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote of this day in 1 Thessalonians 4. He said, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's exactly what Jesus said. One's going to be, you're going to be in the field and one's going to be doing something else. And one's going to be taken, one's going to be left, right? It's not poof, where'd they go? It's, whoa, where are they going? And that's to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. It's not going to be a secret. Everybody's going to know something's going on. And then it'll be too late for them to do anything about it. The Lord said himself through the prophet in Isaiah 65:17, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And again, in Isaiah 66:22, For as the new heavens and new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. This is a a wonderful reminder that this world is not our home. We are temporary residents here in this place. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we become permanent residents of the new heaven that he's building now. The new Jerusalem, which he'll bring to the new earth. We're waiting for a new world being prepared for us to live in for all eternity, face to face with the Lord. Where people will worship him from new moon to new moon. That's, that's month to month. Just Sabbath to Sabbath. Week after week, month after month, people will worship the Lord face to face. In his new kingdom. In order to dwell on that new earth where righteousness dwells, we ourselves must be righteous. And the only way to be declared righteous is through faith in Jesus Christ.
Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us that this world is not our home. That you are preparing a place for us. And since you've gone to prepare a place for us, you will come back again to take us to be with you where you are. That where you are, we also will be. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to share this good news with our friends and family that don't know you, with our coworkers, our neighbors, that through faith in you, our lives can be made new. Our sin can be forgiven. We can be made into new creatures. We can be adopted by God, our Father. Give us the courage to speak those words. Give us opportunities. Open our eyes to see the chances that we've had over and over to share our faith in Jesus with with other people. And Lord, as we look forward to your return, may we live lives of holiness and godliness. May we make our relationship with you our number one priority. It comes before family. It comes before work. It comes before our hobbies and all the things that distract us. May the gift that we give you this Christmas to celebrate your birthday is our whole and complete devotion. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.